This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wondry people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your Income Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I am Maddie Guest and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host, Sophie Dicker. We're actually in good company for the second time (laughs) today because the morning of recording, we went to record, we got halfway through recording and we realised that we weren't recording the whole time, but we had to get to work. So now it's after work and we're back. Friday night record with a glass of wine. What more could you want? Someone at work was like, you're just making up excuses. Like you couldn't join something this morning because you had a pod <laughs> and now you can't join Friday night drinks because you have a pod. I'm like, I swear to God, I wish I was coming to drink. So just for the record, this is all very candid and not scripted. <laughs> Cheers to that. Can we get a Cheers. Clink? Bit of a. Ooh. Ooh, ooh these, careful. Are, these are my new, my new mud uh, wine glasses. Very bougie of you. Yeah, well, made They're a, beautiful. We made it. I was making a joke with some friends on the weekend that um, half my girlfriends are in Europe just letting loose and I'm one of the ones just at home. Investing in nice homewares. <laughs> expensive homewares. But I will say they were on, at the second sale. So 50% Go off. Girl. Yeah. Well done. So, Soph, we are absolutely loving this series that we have been doing, deep diving into companies that we love and want to know, are they a good investment? This week, we are going to jump across to a community member to find Find out what they want to hear. Hi, Maddie and Soph. I was recently in Uniqlo buying some basics and I absolutely love their products. And I was wondering, is Uniqlo a good investment? I am so excited to be chatting about Uniqlo today. It has actually been on my list to go to Uniqlo since the start of winter because I've wanted to go and get some new knits. But you know what? I feel like we're so far through winter now that if I've survived without them, I probably don't need them. Does that lead into like step number one, pick your opportunity? (laughs) Is that like you needed new knits from Uniqlo so you'd invest in Uniqlo instead? Lovely segue, but actually we came across this one because I've subscribed to a newsletter, which I'm going to recommend. It's called Business of Fashion and it has such great content because it's all sort of around consumer brands that we know and love, but kind of like the business side of the fashion. And I saw an article the other day that I sent to you and it was about Uniqlo reaching record sales. Record sales in a quarter, so a three month period. And I think we both were like, wow, didn't realize that Uniqlo was listed. Yeah, I didn't. I had no idea. For the record, it's called Fast Retailing. That's the company that you can invest in on the Hiroshima Stock Exchange. The Japanese Stock Exchange. So Fast Retailing is the parent company of Uniqlo. Exactly. So I don't know if you're on the Japan Stock Exchange anytime soon. (laughs) Check it out. Yeah, well, I guess that's a good point to say that not all stockbrokers will offer access to that. Mm. Stockbrokers, brokerage Brokerage apps. Brokerage apps, yeah. (laughs) 
but some definitely do. So check which markets you have access to. And, you know, if you do your research and you like the sound of this one, maybe you can invest. So pick your opportunity came across our desk because you've subscribed to a newsletter and I need some new Uniqlo basics. So (laughs) there you go. Easy one to find. So let's now get into step number two of building up your investment thesis, which is to build out the story. So you are our historian today. Take it away. So the story of Uniqlo is such a fun one. It was started by a guy called Tadashi Yanai. He is Japanese and he's actually the richest Japanese man. Wow. Now, yeah, because of Uniqlo. Wow. Yeah. When he left university, his dad owned a retail store, like a men's fashion or men's suitwear store. And he was like, I don't want to go into the family business, but, you know, it was still kind of like it piqued his interest. So he went and worked at a supermarket that sold suits and other retail as well. But his back end job was just to restock inventory. That actually reminds me, I feel like the supermarkets in Japan, they just sell everything in there. Like there's nothing missing from those places. Yeah, well, I'm picturing like a maybe a Walmart or like maybe a Kmart. Let's yeah. bring it closer to home. It just sells everything. Yeah. The funny part about this was he was often reprimanded by his boss when he was working at the supermarket because he would turn up to work in like casual basic wear clothing. What was he meant to be wearing? His boss wanted him to wear a tie. I'm imagining at like... At a supermarket. <laughs> well, I'm imagining like can I think, I actually don't know the year, but you know, 1960s or 70s or something. And it's like more formal and True. like going to your first job and you wear a suit and tie. To pack clothes. <laughs> yeah. But it ties really almost nicely into thinking about Uniqlo more generally because, you know, Uniqlo is basic wear. And from the get-go, he was like, I don't get why people can't wear basic wear. True. So I guess from working out the back of a supermarket, what was the transition into what we now know as this amazing company? So obviously he was reprimanded too much. (laughs) He left or he was fired. I feel like every great founder has a story like this. Like I was working and I just didn't quite fit in. (laughs) 100%. But he actually went and joined his dad's business because he was a bit not sure what I want to do. And his dad was like, why don't you just come into the business? Is and that the conversation? Yeah. <laughs> I just like found transcripts. Like, <laughs> But this is how the story goes. He ended up eventually really, really loving it. And by the 1980s, his dad retired and he actually became president of the company, his dad's company. And at that time, they had around 20 retail stores across Japan. So it had grown a fair amount. Wow. So when did the business start to scale then? To take one step back, during the time when he was still working under his dad, he was traveling to like the US and the UK and trying to get a sense of like what the fashion market is like in broader Western markets. And he came across Gap, which is like nostalgic. Surely Mm. you had like an old Gap Gap jumper. hoodie, yeah. Yeah, loved and it. And T-shirts, I think, and a hat. Yeah, yeah everything. I asked my mum this the other day. I was like, do, you, do we have any of that like old Gap stuff? Because I think it's like becoming cool. I again. was going to say vintage Gap is very much back in. Yeah. He saw Gap and he was really inspired by like their real basic wear, but that's still at a cheap price that a lot of consumers could afford. So when he was appointed the president of the company in the 1980s, he actually started a company on the side, his own company called Unique Clothing Warehouse. Ah. Yeah, (laughs) you can see what's happening here. I remember reading something recently, which was basically saying that initially when they registered the company name, it was 
U-N-I-C-L-O for like unique clothing. But then when they were re-registering it a few years later, apparently the person doing it just got confused and misspelt it. And that's why yeah. it became Uniqlo and it just has been ever since. They like misread the C for yeah. a Q and they're like, eh, it's cute. We yeah, like it. it works. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess from that point on, so we're talking the 1980s, he started building up a brand that was really focused on like basic wear that was high quality, but a cheap price because he felt like that market was really untapped. Over this period, there was a heap of high growth. So talking about like the 1980s into the 1990s, I mean, it makes basic sense, right? Like if you've got good quality, cheap clothing, of course, there's going to be high adoption of it. So I guess my question is, how did they make good quality clothing for a cheap price? Like, where, how did they do that? Because, of course, that's an obvious business model. But like generally with the cheap prices comes lower quality. So that actually takes us perfectly to the 1990s where... You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, asking the right questions here. <laughs> takes us perfectly to the 1990s where Japan was going through a recession period. The economy was really struggling. And so Uniqlo actually adopted a new business model. It's called the spa model, like a, like a jacuzzi, but spa. <laughs> Which what is, does that mean? <laughs> which is the specialty store of private label apparel strategy, which sounds like a lot of jargon. But pretty much it just means that it allowed them to bring in-house all of like the design, the production, the distribution of their product. And the main benefit of doing that was that they could reduce costs because they owned everything in-house and then they manufactured abroad in cheaper countries. So like say China. And they did that on purpose because they were able to save costs during this recession period where people were cutting back on their spending and obviously their their financials were suffering. It's funny when you initially say that it sounds like something would be more expensive but I guess that they had achieved enough scale to be able to bring all of that stuff in-house because obviously you couldn't do that if you had like just a few stores. Exactly and I guess if you bring the whole process in you cut out costs of like middlemen you know Mm. for outsourcing of like say design work or like then you need to have a designer communicate with someone who's in production it kind of streamlines the whole process yeah but I would say the manufacturing overseas as well as was a smart decision because if Japan was going through a bit of a rough time then exporting that function to someone else like China was a way to cut costs as well is that what led to sort of the global expansion how we know Uniqlo today yeah so I guess over this period people were still loving the product they were able to cut costs and in 1993 they actually listed on the stock exchange the Hiroshima stock exchange Uh, as fast retailing group. So we mentioned that at the beginning and that's what you would find it as today, not just Uniqlo. And at this point, they'd expanded to 200 stores. Yeah, wow. And presumably globally, right? Yeah, so I guess like that now sets the scene for like the early 2000s. They started moving into international markets like the UK and the US. They struggled a little bit, I mean, or maybe a lot in the early 2000s to really tap into those markets. Like we'll get into competitors and stuff, but you know, the gaps of the world had the US and the Zara's and the H&M's had the, you know, Spain and the UK. It was really interesting. I was reading one of the main issues they had going into the US market was that all of their clothing was for like a Japanese body, like physique. Uh, yeah. And like, you know, the average height of someone in the US is a lot taller than someone in Japan. And so they really, they didn't pivot quite correctly to just make it work for the US market. So what did they do to overcome that then? So one of the big things that they did was partner with other brands. So already established brands in overseas markets, they started to partner with and they kind of started to pivot from this basic brand that they were, that they wanted to be to more into the fashion side, because I think that fit 
better with westernized cultures Mm. so they were increasing the amount of like clothing that they would produce i think they were doing like production of three new items a year and they increased that to six because i think that's what they saw what people wanted in those markets Mm, and we'll get into fast fashion in this episode as well but obviously the point that you're making there is i guess by partnering with more well-known brands and well-liked brands in those new regions they were able to i guess improve their image and sort of Mm. represent themselves as someone of interest to the local consumers interestingly though that was early 2000s and then coming into like 2013 plus they kind of pivoted back i don't know if you've ever heard the term like life wear from Uniqlo, have you ever seen that branded on any of their stuff? Like, I want to say yes yeah. to go along with <laughs> like, the story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I only saw it because I was in a shop recently and I was yeah. like, oh, I was thinking about it. I will look out for it now when I finally go and do my shopping there for this winter. <laughs> yeah, well, they kind of pivoted back and they were like, no, we are, life wear clothing is, it aims to be that high quality, durable, long-term piece that you can wear. And I think that leads us nicely to where we see Uniqlo today. If you go into a store for Uniqlo, like what's the image you're getting? Definitely good quality, but for sort of cheaper prices. But like it's all basics. You know, they're all Uh, one color. Like, you know, there's only one, like there's lots of colors, but they're all just like, there's no designy things. It's all just very structured. So true. And that's what Uniqlo really is today. It's that, as you said, that high quality basic thing that you can hold forever. Like I feel like the term capsule wardrobe is being thrown Mm. around like left, right and center at the moment. That's kind of what Uniqlo is. But it's kind of ironic because Uniqlo kind of is fast fashion. So it's, sort of at odds with this capsule wardrobe idea, but that's pretty much exactly what it's going for. So overview today, it has more than 2,300 stores, something of those sorts, <laughs> and they're global. So their biggest market is Asia Pacific and it's definitely Japan and China, but they do have infiltration now in the UK and US markets and definitely areas that they're trying to grow in. So that is your history lesson. Well done. For Loved the day. it. <laughs> Okay, so we've covered off step number one, which is to spot the opportunity, and number two, which is to build the story, understand where the company has come from in order to be able to, I guess, look forward and see where it's headed. Also to get an understanding of leadership. I find the story thing is really, it's all built on the same core value still, which I love. Yeah, I think you and I are both big buyers into this whole sort of story and the founder we both really like that and I mean it is important when you're investing right because you want to invest in businesses and people that you believe in exactly align it with your values but let's take a quick break for our sponsors and we will be right back to get on with step number three Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So before the break, we built up the story, the wonderful story of Uniqlo. And then step number three in building up our investment thesis is usually to look to the market which is understanding the competitors and it's important because obviously you want to know where the company sits against people that could outrun it or do worse than it like which is the best to invest in can you give a broad overview of like who sits in the market yeah so I guess let's define what we mean by fast fashion and that is inexpensive clothing which is produced rapidly by mass market retailers in response to the latest trends So when we think about, I guess, the fast fashion, the biggest players in the fast fashion industry, the ones that come to mind, I mean, at the very, very top end, we're looking at Shein. So they are like super cheap, super fast fashion. Mm. You know, if you go on their website this week, it's likely going to be a very different website to what it is if you go back in two weeks time. Like they are really turning over stock very fast. Mm. And when you're buying products from there, it's dirt cheap. Yeah. Like, you, I swear to God, sunglasses are like a dollar. Nuts. Ah. So Shein, I feel like I've kind of excluded it a little bit from competitors because Shein's like super fast fashion, whereas you then come into that more middle market, which is like your H&M, your Zara and your Uniqlo, and they all kind of sit in that middle part. Yes, so H&M is the oldest out of all of them and it also has the largest footprint, so the most stores. I think it's got 4,000 plus stores, so it is like massive and it is global. Yeah, I guess to set the scene, H&M is kind of considered like the cheapest of the three of them if you're looking at H&M, Zara and Uniqlo and probably the poorest quality and because of that it sits more with like the Gen Z market Mm. so h&m is listed on the stockholm stock exchange and also the nasdaq but in my mind h&m the strength of this company is that it has a massive stronghold over the uk market yeah so i remember when i finished school and i moved to the uk for a year and this was also kind of pre h&m really expanding into australia so when i went to the uk i was like so excited to shop an H&M. It was such a novelty. And the company has actually done really well year to date. So, you know, we're now in August since January. Its stock price is up more than 50%. That's crazy. Do you know why? I think there was a big decline post-COVID. Like there was a big drop and now it's coming back up because they've done really well with like their summer collection, like people buying cheap clothing to go on their European vacations. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, the UK has probably had a massive like influx of tourists and things like that I wonder if that has had a positive impact on sales too well also we've said it a million times but obviously cost of living increasing people if they want to buy new clothing they're probably looking for a cheaper option true yeah so that is H&M let's move on to the next one now which is Zara Zara we love Zara (laughs) to touch on us both quite liking Zara I would say that In my mind, it's kind of like when you're in your early 20s, not necessarily working or earning as much money, H&M's your go-to. And then Zara kind of has that like next level graduation. So it's sort of like you might, because it's got a lot of workwear, it's more for the corporate girly. It's a little bit higher quality than H&M in my mind. And I guess with that comes a slightly higher price. Yeah, and I think they have a bigger demographic of people that they can target. Like it's not just 
that younger group, but it's also like, if you think about Zara workwear, like you're targeting from mid twenties all the way up to whatever, you know, your forties, fifties, sixties, people wearing stuff, because I think Zara has much more of a focus on design and they have like a faster turnover compared to Uniqlo. But on the same token, a lot of their strategy recently has been focusing on being a premium brand Mm. rather than the thought of like it being a real fast fashion company. Yeah. And I think the prices probably have followed with that as well a little bit, right? Yeah. In the past year, they've seen like a 23% increase in prices compared to H&M, which was about 13%. Okay. Well, maybe that goes to why they have the most revenue out of all of this group or out of Uniqlo, H&M and Zara. They have the most revenue and they also have the highest market cap or market capitalization. So they are listed on the Spanish stock exchange under their parent company, Inditex. Inditex, yeah. And one thing I will note about this is they're actually, I think, the largest against everyone, pretty much. Like they're bigger than Lululemon. I wow. want to say Nike, but like maybe the data is a bit old. Like their Inditex is massive. When you look at like consumer retail more broadly, not just fast fashion, they're up there with one of the big stocks. Now, where would we say Zara is the most successful in terms of geographical markets? Definitely a lot of Europe, yeah, but also the US. It's probably infiltrated the US market better than most and I think that's where that when we were talking about the history of the company of Uniqlo that design element comes in really nicely they design clothes for all sorts of people and they stick up with trends which people want to be a part of okay so how does Uniqlo match up to all of this then we've kind of discussed where Shein fits in we've covered off the main facts to know about H&M and now Zara how does Uniqlo measure up Well, Uniqlo is like the basics, you know, it's not the design hungry, look for the consumer, get as much sales as they want. It's like buy one piece, hold it forever. Love it so much that you buy four other pieces and hold them forever. Yeah. I think it's for me, the quality. Yeah. Much better quality than Zara and H&M. Yes. And I'm probably going to sound so (laughs) stupid, but like there's something to do with the Uniqlo branding that makes me feel like it's good quality. It's a Japanese brand. I feel like there's a real focus on it. Like when I put on a t-shirt, it could literally be made in the same factory in China and have a Zara label or a Uniqlo label. And I would just think Uniqlo was better. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I've bought like a long puffer from Uniqlo that is super warm. And I reckon I spent, someone will be able to fact check me there, maybe one or $200. Mm. And I was remember weighing up, do I buy that or like a full Kathmandu type puffer? Mm. And my Uniqlo puffer is so good. It keeps me so warm whereas I would never be buying that kind of thing from a Zara yeah the quality in my mind is not good enough yeah especially with jumpers jumpers are so funny aren't they I also feel like now I'm just shouting out Uniqlo products but it would be remiss of me to not bring up you know that little bum bag shoulder bag thing that everyone has they're $11 Mm. and I swear they're everywhere I have one I think at one point I was living with a few maybe it was like three or four other girls and we all had them in different colors and we would go out of the house and just look at each other and be like Mm, nice bag. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Like it suits everyone. It's mm. just so minimalistic that it's not like it might not suit you because it's a crazy design. And on that, basics and minimalistic to the point that it's kind of gender neutral as well. Like yes. a lot of the clothes are fit and are appropriate for both guys and girls, which I would say probably broadens their market a lot. Yeah. Well, we touched on H&M Gen Z, Zara being maybe more like middle market. And now Uniqlo just has a broader target market. Yes. 
I want to read these facts because I feel like they're super interesting, but I kind of need you to explain them for me. So (laughs) (laughs) 33% of clothes are available at Uniqlo between six and nine months between 60 versus 66% of Zara's products are available for three months or less. Yeah. So it's like one third of Uniqlo's items. So like all the inventory that they have are only available for six to nine months. Like they have some exclusive products where you can be like, I've only got six months to get this. And then they get rid of it. As opposed to Zara. Which has two thirds of all its products, which are only on the shelves for three months. So it's trying to show that like. Less fast fashion Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. exactly. So those three are kind of your big, really big competitors. And honestly, when you're doing your research, you'll find it so quickly. Like every article just has those three names in it and almost like doesn't touch it, touch anything else. But one other one I did actually really want to bring in, which we mentioned at the beginning was Gap, which was like the original inspiration for Uniqlo. Well, the reason why Gap comes to mind is because a few weeks ago, we did an episode on Mattel where we discussed the investment thesis for Mattel. And one of the things I think we did bring this up at the end I definitely had it in my notes because I remember reading it on the day and it is that Mattel is losing a lot of their staff now that they're creating a bit more of a brand for themselves that's so weird why would that happen why would you want to leave well it's because they're in high demand so they're getting poached by other companies oh I was gonna say like it's creating a brand for yourself like stay and like exciting (laughs) so the Mattel COO has recently become the new CEO of Gap and I feel like that might have something to do with the fact that Gap is kind of resurging at the moment I feel like there's a lot of nostalgia and kind of popularity coming back around the brand well just to give some background Gap used to be the OG in Mm. the US markets like it was not even any competition Gap saw a real significant like decline in its business over I don't know maybe let's just say the past 10 years I don't know probably the the last 20 years yeah and it was because they kind of they didn't keep up with the e-commerce era and like being a trendy brand when they really succeeded when you know kids would go to the mall and like buy their Gap clothing but that's seriously what it was Mm. and then they didn't keep up so they saw a real decline and Gap kind of became insignificant until I think it was 2020 when it resurfaced on TikTok. Emma Chamberlain. Yeah (laughs) she had Instagram posts of her wearing Gap and it kind of became cool again and then now we're talking into this story of the new CEO coming in and a really interesting thing about that CEO is he's been named the person that pretty much turned the Barbie brand around. So he knows how to do nostalgia is yeah. what I'm reading from this. Literally. <laughs> I think he, he's been coined as someone that knows how to turn a brand around. So Gap is also listed. It's a public company on one of the US stock exchanges, which I don't know which one. It was the New York Stock Exchange. But just to put them in the competitor mix, they are there because honestly, if you're going to have like for like, I would say that Gap and Uniqlo are the most similar, mainly because they're selling those kind of basic products for a cheaper price. So so if that is our competition, let's move on to step number four, which is asking what is the moat? What is going to stop the competitors from, I guess, doing what Uniqlo does, but doing it better from taking market share from them, from being bigger. Let's maybe start with geographic location because we've kind of touched on how each of these competitors have sort of marked out their territory. Yeah. And I think this is a moat for Uniqlo because we have noted that, noted, what am I in an email? (laughs) 
we've noted, we've said that they have kind of capture over the Asian market. And I think that's a really big competitive advantage for them because China specifically consume in the whole world, the most garments, the most apparel garments per year. Well, let's go into that even deeper because it's China and we're also looking at their target being like middle class because it's, you know, that sort of cheaper but good quality products. The Chinese middle class slash the Asian middle class is the fastest growing demographic in the world. Let me quickly go into reading mode for a second. So in 2020, an estimated 2 billion Asians were members of the middle class, and that number is set to increase to 3.5 billion by 2030. So an increase in 1.5 billion people. By comparison, middle class membership in the Americas is expected to go from around 647 million in 2020, so comparing that to 2 billion, to around 689 million in 2030. So whilst they're accounting for around 17% of global middle class sort of membership in 2020, that's going to decline to around 13% over the next 10 years. So when we're thinking about target markets and when we're thinking about H&M and Zara versus where Uniqlo is playing, there is a massive, massive, massive difference. Yeah. And I think like if we draw comparisons to other episodes, like the L'Oreal episode, for example, like ASAP was acquired because people want to get into the Chinese market. People, Mm. that's where people want to be. And to put some like figures on it, I think Uniqlo has 70% of their stores in the Asia region compared to Zara, which has 70% of their stores in Europe. So it's a massive advantage for them. And we said at the beginning, they have their profits that rose so much. And that was because of Chinese sales. People love the clothing and now they're doing really well because of it. Yeah. So they're very well placed when it comes to benefiting from demographic and like broader macroeconomic trends. Talking about macro trends, let's talk about COVID. Uniqlo's, it's a competitive advantage almost that COVID happened, which sounds insane, but like, what do we wear every day now? I was going to say, what were you wearing when you work from home? And if we think, yeah, pre-COVID, most people were going to the office every day and there was that real demand for, I guess, you know, the corporate wear, think your Zara's, versus now we are working from home so much more as a general population. And when you're at home, you want to be wearing like, you know, nice, smart clothes, not too lazy, not your trackies. Uniqlo just fits that brief beautifully. So well. And the company's really forward looking like during the COVID period, they were like sourcing stuff. They increased salaries by something like 40%, like crazy amounts Wow! to try and retain the best people because they were like, we know that this is going to pass, but we need to make sure that when we come out of it, we come out on top. Like it's an opportunity to do that. And I think when you are comparing to someone like Zara, they have been able to take a lot more market share because- they were forward thinking about it. The other thing I want to touch on is the quality because I feel like that's come up a few times now that yes, you know, maybe Uniqlo is fast fashion, but they have much higher quality garments. And that is because they have invested a lot of money into R&D. Yeah, their innovation. They actually call themselves a retail innovator or something like that. They're really about their technology. So they've invested a bunch of money in creating products like heat tech thermals. Uh, Ah, yeah, And they're so thin. I bought some for when I went to the US and they're so thin, but they keep you so warm. And they work on these projects with other companies to like create these really innovative fabrics. And it's like a massive part of their company culture, trying to 
create a new fabric that will be a higher quality and be something completely new rather than focusing on, yeah, that design point. I did read, I think you put this into our notes, some weird stuff around the company culture amongst their staff. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just. I laughed that you put this in like competitive edge because I was like, is it? Well, it's just like formulaic. Like they are very strict with training. I think it's one of the, the longest training periods for a retailer in the world. So that's great. That's yeah. definitely a competitive yeah. edge. Yeah. And you have to be able to fold six shirts in a minute. Oh my God. You have to try and say six phrases to every customer that walks in the door. Yeah. That bit I thought was a bit weird. But you know why I think it's a competitive advantage when you run a big company, having formula that every store around the world has to stick to. So when it doesn't matter what country you go to, you have the same experience. I think that is a really positive part of a company like you go into Zara and it's freaking shambles yeah I do completely agree with that I can't stop wondering whether we could try and figure out what the six statements are like Drake, oh yeah no no they're not weird they're not weird they're not weird are we gonna be able to figure them out like they're online oh, they're like what hi are they? how are you oh. um how's your day like it's like just normal conversation but it's like you're trying to interact with a customer six times at least okay and when you give your credit card back it has to be with two hands and like all these really formulaic like oh. Things And I think a part of that comes down to when Tadasi and I set up the company, he was like, if people stray from like what we meant to be as an organizational culture, like we're going to go down to the design route, Yeah, you know? So it's like, if you're going to work here, be innovative in terms of fabric, but don't be innovative in terms of like creativity. Do you think though that there's like some kind of downside to being so formulaic? Like would it detract talent in like the fashion industry? Potentially, but I also don't know that that's necessarily what they're going after. I mean, maybe. I think in my mind, more the thing that I worried about was it, you know, kind of stops innovation and maybe creativity because it is so structured. Mm, Yeah, agreed. One really interesting last point that I'm going to add to the moat before we move on (laughs) is a really cool thing that they do in the company is they have people who are on the design team, talking about design, have to do customer complaints Ah. or like the product development team. So they have to work a period on customer complaints. So they see firsthand what people are annoyed about rather than getting brought up the value chain and it being like whispers and it gets kind of misconstrued. I like it. That's smart. It reminds me of when you do a grad program at Mecca and you have to start by being in the stores and doing people's makeup. So summarize, what are the key points for the moat? Okay. Benefiting massively from the macroeconomic trends, which is a really fast growing middle class in Asia, which is their target market. And I guess their stronghold in the market at the moment. COVID, meaning that their clothes are becoming more in demand. Their investment in R&D, which means that their quality is superior out to their competitors and finally their company culture and their staff is that a good summary <laughs> i think no one needs to listen to the rambling that we did before and they could have just, <laughs> just taken straight to that, to that. Yeah. so so if now that we've talked about all the stuff that we really love about this company let's go to step number five which is be your own devil's advocate let's tear down all those great arguments that we have built so far i've done some maths for you oh god because you know i'm an excel girly This is going to be in fast fashion, isn't it? Yes. I was waiting for this. And I think it's really, really important that we discuss it. Yeah. So look, if you're investing in a company that number one produces any product, particularly clothing, it's not good for the environment. If you are buying clothes from Zara, and we've all been guilty of this, but if you're buying clothes from Zara and H&M and whatever else, 
it's not good. I think the beginning of Business Wars, have you listened to the Business Wars with H&M? No. So there's a Business Wars on it. I listened to it almost a year ago, I reckon, but its story has stuck in my mind where a guy was in like Sweden, I think, and he like went to these factories and the factories were just full of burning clothes. And it was where H&M sends all of their old stock, anything that's not sold, and it just gets burnt. That makes me feel sick. Yeah. Listen to it. It's the first story on the business wars. We will include it in our episode notes. So let's put some numbers to it. The fast fashion industry generates more CO2 than the aviation and shipping industries combined. Do you know how bad travel is for the environment? I know. And the fact that retailing is worse, like it's just mind boggling. Yeah. I mean, I guess if we just think about the quantity of clothes that people buy, own, wear, it's not surprising, but it's not one of those things that I necessarily, I I didn't think it would be worse than both of those industries combined, I have to say. Fast fashion also accounts for 20% of global wastewater and that comes down to the textile dyeing, so making our clothes colourful, sad. (laughs) And like I know these figures sometimes don't mean anything, but 20%. Like think about how much you like use water for everything else. Like 20% is massive. And 92 tonnes of clothing gets thrown out a year. And I'm just going to do a quick conversion because tonnes mean nothing to me. So what is that in kilos? That is, oh, oh, I definitely should have known this. It's 92,000. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to tell you, we're going to look at Zara. I don't know if Zara is the worst or if H&M is or Uniqlo. It could actually be any of them. To be really frank with you when doing the research, like it's really hard to find out who's the worst well yeah because they wouldn't be publishing this stuff no and when they do yeah and when they do publish stuff it's very we're starting a sustainability Mm. brand and whatever else so look i don't know who's the worst if you know who's the worst jump in our social media and let's chat about it because that would be amazing but this is some fun maths for you or not so fun maths yeah zara produced six hundred and twenty one thousand tons of garments last year which is 621 million kilograms yeah huge Mm. Per kilogram of clothing, you use 150 litres of water. So that is 93,216,000,000 litres of water. Then I did some random quick math, which you're really going to enjoy. (laughs) It takes 3,250 litres to make one T-shirt, which is enough water for someone to drink for 1,000 days. So pretty much three years, right? So that means what Zara produced last year in clothes, which probably most of it ends up in landfill, 31 million days of water, which is enough water for 1.2 million people to drink for their whole lives. Oh, my God. And in one year. So, you, like, think about, like, you know, the poverty we have in our world and the people that don't have access to water. 1.2 million people for their whole lives, not just for one year, it would give them water for their whole lives is the garments that Zara produced. In one year. <sighs> yeah. And the only reason I did that quick math is because you see, you hear these figures, you see these figures, you know, that looks bad. But like when you put like human facts on it like that, it just, it's so hard to think about. Like it's, it's, it rips apart everything that's good about investing in a company. Yeah. And I know that example was Zara, but like Uniqlo still sits in that boat. Yeah. Agreed. To put a pin in fast fashion for the moment, because I'm feeling pretty depressed. Let's talk about just briefly Uniqlo's ability to break into other markets. So we've talked about how, yes, it's a great thing that it has a really big presence in Asia and that is a very fast growing demographic. Amazing. But you talked about in your history section that they have kind of struggled to really break in and 
really rapidly expand in both Europe, UK and the US. Yeah. And to be honest, they just like haven't stuck. Uniqlo, I mean, if you're thinking about it from an investment perspective and you're looking to who to invest in, like they've really struggled to get into new markets, which even though it's great that, you know, there's a rising middle class in China, you know, the US and UK are huge markets, massive. Look at Zara. It's like one of the biggest retailing companies in the world. So it's a bear case because it's now, what, 2023. They started looking and investing in those markets in early 2000s and they still haven't been able to do it. I mean, they're there. They just haven't yeah. done it well. Yeah. What do we think? How do we summarize? Is this a good investment? Now, step number six is look to the future of the company and really ask yourself, is this a good investment? So in my mind, what we are weighing up here is whether you believe in the continuing growth of fast fashion as a sector. And obviously, you know, my initial gut reaction to that is, no, of course I don't. It's bad. It shouldn't keep growing. But Shein just recently got an $100 billion valuation. Yeah. And the reality of the situation is that with cost of living rising, people are going for lower cost alternatives. I guess Uniqlo presents a nice sort of middle ground in that, in that, yes, it probably is considered a fast fashion brand, Mm. but they're investing heavily in R&D, which means that their products are more durable and longer lasting. So maybe you can spin it that it's slightly better. The flip side of that is, do you believe in this really sort of capsule wardrobe, sustainable Mm. shopping idea, in which case there are probably better brands that you can be investing in that are going to expose you to the rise of that? Yeah, the crux of it for me was like, the question for yourself, because you should, I think you should be aligning your investments with your values. Are you still buying at a lot of fast fashion brands? Because if yes, maybe then you believe that, you know, you're going to be continuing to buy from those brands. And no shame no, in that. Absolutely because like we not. said, it's often an economic and financial decision. Oh, and let me tell you, I've been to Zara like three yeah. times this year. And then I saw those facts and I was like, oh my God. Because yeah. it's, it's, you know, eye-opening to have these conversations and that's where you do see the facts. But like, mm. I'm definitely, I've been buying from Zara. But then the other side of the question is if you're building your capsule wardrobe, as you said, maybe there's investments more aligned to basics that are durable. (laughs) (laughs) That are not (laughs) uniquely. So Mads, I think that really wraps us up. I loved reading about Uniqlo. It's so interesting. I'm really enjoying digging into these like consumer brands that we interact with on a day-to-day basis that either I didn't realize you could invest in or I'd never sort of really thought that much about it. But the reality is these are the exact brands that we should be thinking about because they're the ones that we're using and like we're buying their products and interacting with them really regularly. So we know the companies themselves. If you get any more facts, if you do your own research and yeah. look into Uniqlo, please let us know because like honestly, up. we've got, we, we're informed. We want to talk about it. But otherwise, we would love for you to share one of these episodes with your friends. If you haven't already, we've got a backlog of three other episodes. L'Oreal, Mattel, West Farmers. And Tesla. And Tesla. So go have a listen to those. If you have any questions, you can either DM us on TikTok or Instagram at YIGC Podcast, or you can share them in our Facebook group, YIGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group. Otherwise, you'll hear about a new company next week when you listen to us. (laughs) Cannot wait. We will catch you then. Bye.
You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.